This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the Church Boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. And So, as we get ready for today's show, I'm going to speak a little bit quietly because Billy's taking a nap. Billy, uh, Billy had a long couple days. He's just got back from Washington, D.C., and he's, he's having trouble staying awake here as we record this. And it's the middle of the day, so... Billy, are you... <laughs> so this just in, Billy Hallowell's running for president. I'm getting ready to do something, too. I'm running for president. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure why that's being played <laughs> I don't right know. now. I'm, I'm on. Do you know what Dub Smash is? No. You don't know what Dub Smash is? I woke up from my oh, nap. Oh, Dub, sm- Dub Smash. Dub Smash. Dub yes. Smash. Yes. You don't know what it is? No, I thought you said Dub Smash. Is because like some devil works thing. And that is that the American people are sick and tired of hearing about your damn emails. I'm sorry. I'm just going through Dub Smashes <laughs> that I want to do later on. <laughs> So, Billy, <clears throat> do you have a fun couple of days down in uh, the armpit of America? Uh, Actually, it's not. <laughs> my, well, let's a, just talk. Now, let me say I this. I want to just say something yeah, about you're, you're, the people who designed Washington, D.C. Uh, if you are going to tell me, GPS, that it's a 1.6 mile walk, I'm already extending myself for those 1.6 miles. So let's right, start like there. Extending yourself by like 1.5 miles. <laughs> So, so you're going to tell me that I'm going to, oh, I, I'm assuming it's like a straight line walk. This is no, going to be simple. But no, in Washington, D.C., there no there's sp- a, a roundabout. Every, I hate, if anybody knows me, they know that oh, I, I hate, hate roundabouts. roundabouts. I, I hate driving in them. The fact that I have to walk through them yeah. and that yeah. there are 17 lights to make one mm-hmm. street crossing mm-hmm. is insane. It's, it's awful. You're I, on these little platforms. It's like you're a frog in Frogger. There are, like no, there to- are no straight lines in Washington, D.C. None. You can't. There's no straight line. And the one straight line that they had from uh, from from Capitol Hill to to uh, to uh, to the White House, there used to be a straight line. It's a straight shot. Constitution Avenue would run straight down, and you could see the president could see Congress. They see they put a light on 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 Capitol Hill on the dome, and the president knew that he was needed there or whatever. There was they could send signals that way. And one president, I can't remember who it was, was upset with Congress. This is the rumor. He was upset with Congress. They were trying to decide where to put the Treasury Building. And he said, put it here and points to the spot in the map that's right in the middle of Constitution Avenue. And they that's where they put the Treasury Department. It now sits in the middle of Constitution Avenue. What was once a straight, clean, clear line of sight from the White House to the Capitol down Constitution Avenue was uh, is now gone. It's now uh, well. All I know is Pennsylvania. Anyway. I was dripping sweat and <laughs> disgusting by the time I arrived to the first event I had to go to. <laughs> so tell me, tell people, tell people what you were doing this week down in Washington D.C. The nation's, if if there were a place, I, I had a teacher used to say this about a certain city in in Washington State, which shall name, which shall remain unnamed. But if the United States were to receive an enema, Washington D.C. would be the <laughs> insertion point. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I went about your to. Trip. Wait, what did you say? Tell people about your little trip that you had. You you love you want me to talk so badly I, about this trip. I so I, do because I think you were miserable, which makes me happy. 
I went to the National Prayer Brunch, also known as the National Prayer Breakfast. Um, <laughs> the Prayer Brunch. They, they couldn't bother. To, <laughs> people were just getting there late, so they just changed it to the brunch. Um, and, but I went to an event the day before. So it was it was one of those things where you look at your itinerary and yeah. you're like, there's something mentally wrong with me that I would think that I'm going to be able to do this in, a, in 24 hours. Right. But um, it was great. I mean, it was look, it was a very nice event. I didn't book my hotel in time, and so I ended up staying at a hotel that was 1.6 miles away. And so where did again, you... which which is like 14 miles. No, where was Washington, the where DC. was the event? Because I know DC, but the where was Washington the event? Hilton? Okay, and so where where did you stay? The hotel was in Maryland. Um, in Maryland, E Street. Okay. So it was what it was almost two miles away, which you know, fine. But you can't get a cab in no. DC. Like no. you, there are no cabs anywhere. If you want to take a cab across the street, it'll cost you thirty five dollars. It was crazy town. It's awful. And then I Ubered, and I was I I had no clue how to Uber. Do you I like no the clue how to Uber. Do you like the metro in DC? I used to um, take the metro. I don't. I so I don't want to sound like a jerk. I don't do subways. Of course you don't. <laughs> Okay. So, short title. Um, Just a second. I gotta write this down. Look, I don't do a subway if I have to do a subway. I do like the Washington D.C.'s uh, "quote unquote" metro. It's a subway. Um, I think it's the nicest one out of all of them. But I try to avoid. I would actually walk three miles if I could, and I had the time to avoid taking a subway in a blizzard. Oh, really? I now, don't like now, the subway. Now you know you can tell when someone's not from D.C. or not familiar with D.C. if they don't if they call it a subway because everybody in D.C. or D.C. metro area calls it the metro because that's what it is. It's the metro. But that's, that's it's stupid. Called. It's like it's it, like it, sub and hoagie. Who cares? But, it's, but is a it, but it is a subway. Uh, I, you know the one good thing that I can say about the subway in D.C. is it's pretty clean. It's pretty safe and pretty clean. It's well lit and it's actually they're not bad subway stops. It doesn't smell like oh. urine. Like you know. Half of New York subway stops smell like urine, or more than half. No, defecation, not right. just urine, defecation. <laughs> but D.C. Let's doesn't have this. that same issue, so uh, so that's nice. But it has so few stops. I mean, in New York, you can you can, uh, there's six there are six stops per block for different trains and different things. And D.C. they're so spread out that by the time you get to a stop, you might as well have just walked to your destination. Right. Yeah. No, it's it's insanity. I mean, it's crazy. And yeah, yeah so. Uh, I mean, I don't really do the subway, so I could or the metro. I could have done that, but I didn't, and I just have no interest. And I also didn't even see one anywhere near where I was. I'm yeah. sure there was one. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't even look because I try to avoid it. But um, so you I mean, were in New East... York, I avoided too. So you I were walked on... the other day from Penn to Grand Central, which wasn't that bad of a walk, just to avoid it. From Penn to wait, from Pennsylvania, from Penn Station to Grand Central, you walked. Yeah, it's not that bad. It's Thirty Second Street to Forty Second, but there's a crossover, you right? Know, east that's to west, not real but... far. It's, it's less than ten blocks, isn't it? Um, it... yeah. It's. I mean, it, it took a little time well, you gotta, because you, you gotta have go to about... cross through Times Square. That's right, and you got to go about three, right. four blocks east before you go north. About right, right, 10 right. Blocks. It wouldn't be bad if it was on the same. Anyway, yeah. For all of you who don't know New York, uh, we're talking about boring directional <laughs> places <laughs> so, you go. Okay, but, so, but the the prayer right. breakfast was great. Was, Minus was not... Nancy Pelosi. Now. <laughs> I forgot she was there. Okay. Okay, she well. read scripture and didn't know. <laughs> and didn't just spontaneously combust. <laughs> so, okay. I'm kidding. She's my, a Catholic. No, tell people about, you sent me a, a, a note about this uncomfortable experience that you had. Was it at the prayer breakfast? 
<laughs> no, it was and, dinner. And, so the this is the before. night before. So tell us, so what was this dinner the night before? And then tell people. So then tell people the awkward situation because it made me laugh out loud at home. <laughs> Cal Thomas hosts this media dinner um, the, every year. The Cal Thomas. Yes. Um, this media dinner every year, and it's the day before the night before the prayer breakfast, and and a lot of people were there, uh, a lot of well-known people. Our friend David Gregory, who's been on the show, what you need uh, to tell them that story too. Yes, and I had a great conversation with him there. Uh, but basically, it's a nice gathering, and there's some really great speakers who share some some really nice, touching stories, and it's they're faith-based stories, you know, Christian stories right. um, of finding Jesus and all that. And then the the there was another speaker there, Ravi Ravi Zacharias. Am I saying it properly? Ravi Zacharias. Ravi. Yes. See, I always say Ravi instead of Ravi. Ravi. I think about my Rav four. Um, so anyway. He spoke at the event, and then he's sitting at this table. It's one of those events you go into, and it's like at first I'm like, I don't know anybody here. But then, of course, I knew like 30 people once I got in there. And it's not assigned seating, right? It's not assigned seating. So you walk in holding your coat, sweating like an animal because I just walked 45 miles from my hotel. I I way prefer, in those type of environments, I way, way, way prefer assigned seating. Of course, because who wants to have to find a seat with people you don't know? Right, or sit sit down by yourself. Or sit down if, by yourself or, or if you're there early. Else is talking. Yeah, if you're there early and you sit at a table and then no one else comes and sits by you. Because you're sweating profusely, yes. I mean, that's the... So, anyway, I got there and I see, of course, I'm... I'm First of all, I'm a vulture. So if I see somebody who's well-known, I'm going to try to go and talk to them. You are a star ever, aren't you? Right, totally. I mean, so I I get there, and not because I want to like be their friend. I just want to talk to them. Right. I want to interview right. oh, yes. them. And you want to be seen near them. No, uh, yes, if I'm not sweating profusely. But in this case, I didn't care about the sweat because I saw Ravi, Ravi, Ravi. I'm, this is I'm never gonna get it. I saw Ravi sitting, and I knew immediately who he was. And there's an empty seat next to him, and I'm like, <laughs> so I slither up to the table, and I'm like, slither hey. is the right word, by the way. It was the right word. Um, I I'm like, oh, is this seat taken? And he's like, well, yes, actually, it is. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Okay, um, and there was like this awkward silence, and I was like, "Okay, thank you," <laughs> like slithered away. But apparently, it was a about reserved a, table. I looked past the giant reserved sign. About a half hour later, Billy looks, and there's nobody sitting there. <laughs> there's nobody. There really wasn't anybody sitting there. Um, so I didn't get to hang out with him, but he gave a great talk. He was gave a great speech. <laughs> son, son, can I help you? Yes, sir. Yes, Mister Zacharias. Can I? Sit no, here? no. Can I sit here? <laughs> <laughs> it was like, excuse me. And he's like, yes. <laughs> I'm like, is this seat taken? Um, and he looks you over. Did, you, did he give you an up and down look like, uh, yeah, it's taken. <laughs> <laughs> but then luckily somebody recon- knew me, recognized me from from Twitter or something. Um, and I was fine. I made friends and it was good to go. And then when I, when I finally found a seat, the people who invited me, they came over and, and I had like two seats. So it was great. I knew oh, two people at two different tables. So. <laughs> two seats. Well, it would help. I mean, you haven't been hitting the uh, <laughs> you haven't been hitting the Stairmaster. So having two seats next to each other. I, I have not been. Not since this this you book can, project. I just I see not. you doing this. You just got to reach your arm over, grab the plate that's sitting over there and just kind of slide <laughs> it over to you. <laughs> so now, um, now, now, who did you, you told me about some people you ran into and I can't remember if it was at. The evening event or the breakfast event, brunch event. I ran into Lori Dew, who Blaze fans know, right, at the right, at right, both right. 
And no, it was just the the dinner, but she was at the prayer breakfast too. I just there's three thousand people at the prayer breakfast, so you right. don't you don't see most of them. So how big um, was the, how big was the dinner thing the night before? I would say like 80, 100 oh, people. Really? I mean, okay, not so big. pretty hoity toity crowd then. Yeah, it was I mean, it was like a pretty tight crowd of people. High who, rollers like you. Uh, yeah, no, I did not. I it was like which one is not like the others? Uh, but but Kirsten Hagland, uh, former Miss America, who I who I know and I'm friends with, she's and great. Her and her husband of, uh, Ryan close, were there. Close friend of John Seidel. The yes, John Seidel. The John Seidel. Yeah. Princess Seidel, as we like to call him. Um, but uh, so it was really nice to catch up with her and and see her and. Uh, yeah, lots of David. Like I said, David Gregory actually stopped me. Right. I was walking. I was going to go up and talk to him. So it wasn't like he like found, saw me. I was going to go up and talk to him, right. but there was a group of people, and right. I qu- didn't quite get there. And he stopped, like came over to me, and was like, "Hey, are you Billy?" Because we had not met in person. We'd only right. done we had the interview. interview on the show yeah. And and so we had a great talk, really oh, good. good talk. Um, yeah. And did I he, think he's going to come back on our he, show. Did he ask about me? He did. He actually did ask. Yes. He was like. Your co-host, your co-host. Finally, How is he doing? And I was like, Chris Field, Rosemary Field, and he said yes. And <laughs> finally, uh, finally, somebody remembered I exist. And and uh, he he really, we had a yeah. great. I really like him. He's a too. really good I guy. Too. I do too. Uh, and cool. so he delivered a prayer actually, which was really nice and interesting to see before now the meal. The, the prayer breakfast. That's a Christian. Is that? I mean, that's a nominally Christian event, right? I mean, that's is, yeah. I mean, it's the Fellowship Foundation, I believe. That's an, and I'm pretty sure. I mean, it, it's a Yes, it's a Christian event. Okay. So, now the night before, the thing the night before, who puts that on? Is that the same that's people? That's Cal Thomas. Okay, it's just Cal Thomas. Yeah, and his wife. Yeah. Okay, so that's probably a multi-faith thing then. There's, I found it interesting that he that David was offering a prayer there, but that would make sense. Yeah, I don't even know how much I'm supposed to share of the details of, the, of that event. Sorry, but I didn't share much. But <laughs> yes, I mean the detail the detail of my chair mishap and my seating mishap with with Ravi, <laughs> Ravi. Ravi, Ravi, you had it right. No, I don't even care. But um, I had a great time though. It was it was really great. No. And I'm actually looking. Yeah. So so I'm on the Fellowship Foundation okay. website, okay. and uh, it, it talks about seeking to adhere to the teachings and precepts of Jesus. So it's a, look, it's a Christian right. organization for sure. And I think that is that is what made it so fascinating when Nancy Pelosi brought up um, Muhammad, as and did the, the president. Yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, the president. Yes. Obama's speech was definitely rooted in visiting the mosque the day before and how we should treat Muslims and how Muslims are Americans, too. Um, If I recall, and I don't want to be incorrect on this, but Nancy Pelosi actually read a line, I think, from the Quran. She at least referred to it, I think. No, I I can understand the president's point because he. And he did right. it on purpose. Went to that mosque the day before, and then had that speech at the and to admonish fellow Christians that you know we gotta, regardless of our thoughts of Islam, we still have to we still have fellow Americans who are Muslim, and we need to treat them kindly and and in a Christ like manner. And I agree with that. I don't have any problem. Oh, with totally. That. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's interesting that they do go out of their way to at I, it seems to me at Christian events, liberal people like Pelosi or Obama to change the subject away from actual Christianity and what it is we believe and what it is we're praying. The point of the breakfast to go from the point of the breakfast being to pray for our nation and to lift it up and to ask God to guide us and direct us to then admonish us on our views of Islam. And then to then bring also as far as I can tell, Pelosi brought in Islamic theology. Is that correct? 
Yeah, I mean, it was very brief. I'm trying to find it as we're sitting here uh, because she's they're... Weir- she's such a weirdo, though. Hold on a minute. Actually, the Daily Caller has a piece about this. Prophet Muhammad at prayer breakfast. Um, <laughs> of course. Congressman, President Barack Obama. All right, so let's see here. Yes, and in fact, I had thought about doing this as a story because I... And they've, they've done it. I, I decided not to, but... She said, let's see here. Pelosi talked about the similarity in Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. Uh, Let me just read it because it's not very long. In the Gospel of John, we see the golden rule that stands at the heart of the gospel, and we hear these words from John 13, 15, and 17. We know that this message, this command of love, is not confined to the New Testament. The same message stands at the center of the Torah and the teachings of the prophet Muhammad, too. In the Torah, it says, love your neighbor as yourself, and from Muhammad... None of you has faith until he loves for his neighbor or his brother what he loves for himself. Hmm. So, yes, she all three, obviously. But, yeah, there's clearly a difference there. And well, I I mean, Christianity, Jesus was quoting the Old Testament when he said it. What are the greatest command? What's what's the most important command? He said, you know, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, he was quoting the Old Testament. It wasn't it's not something new. But then to wrap in. Uh, Islam, which came around quite a while after Jesus, right? That like, Islam wasn't quoting, as far as I know, quoting Jesus. It was like, anyway, it's just kind of weird that, that you would go out of your way to bring that into it. I don't know. I don't. Know. Maybe maybe I'm just I'm maybe I'm just overly critical I mean, because it's Nancy my, Pelosi. I thought it was strange and felt forced. That <laughs> that's what it felt. Well, that's Na- that's Nancy Pelosi. Everything about her is strange and feels forced. She also seemed like she was struggling or sick me i actually thought maybe she had a head cold or something like she seemed kind of i don't know it was, it was, highly, a, little, heavily medica- it was a little heavily medicated perhaps <laughs> but you know look i'm sure the prayer breakfast is looked at yeah. as more a broader approach more than just yeah. christian even though i think that the organization to as far as i can tell is a christian organization right and you know, really the focus is prayer and people having differences and coming together. Uh, Paul Ryan gave a great little quick speech about prayer, which I thought was nice. It was yeah. it really it was a room filled with a lot of heavy hitters, obviously, yeah, yeah, the president. Yeah. Well, they want to be the house. They want to be seen there. It's, you know, whether right. or not they agree that it, it's good for them politically to be seen there. Right. And I think, you know, Obama's speech to a degree really. He got rounds of applause. I, you know, he talked about this Muslim man who, after San Bernardino, was taking his kids to the park, and he always, obviously, would pray at the specific times of day that are you're, you're supposed to as a Muslim. He would t- he normally would take his carpet out, put it on the ground, and do it right in the park. But he felt uncomfortable and almost didn't do it. And his daughter came over and said, "Why aren't you praying today, Daddy?" And he realized he had to get on his carpet and he had to pray because he had to, he had to teach his daughter a lesson that you can't you can't be living in fear. That was the whole premise of the speech was fear, which I thought was an interesting premise from, yeah. you know, finding peace in Jesus and not being afraid, which is what Obama talked the first half of the speech about. Right. So, it, it look, it was relevant. Um, and I do think people should be able to practice their religion freely. So there was nothing really that I just felt Pelosi's quoting of it. It's almost like you need to justify and bring in other religions to say, look, yeah. these are totally this is totally peaceful over here. You have nothing to worry yeah. about. So I'm going to yeah. bring it into this. Well, which and is I, fine. And I think that and I think that I don't think it's unfair for anybody to read. I don't think it's possible to read too much in politically into Obama's speech at all. I mean, I think much like if you read a Flannery O'Connell story or novel, you cannot read too much into it. There's always symbolism. There's always another layer. Same thing with Obama. When he speaks at this prayer breakfast, 
and talks about don't have a fear a, a, a spirit of fear jesus is the cure for fear and then goes into it's a diet than that. and goes right. into a diatribe about then islam and don't be afraid of them to try to uh, essentially tell christians you don't need to be afraid of muslims well yeah we don't need to be afraid of muslims but it's his way of saying without saying I'm not going to call it Islamic extremism that's behind terrorism. We, we can't be afraid of terror. We can't be afraid of terror. We can defeat all this. And it doesn't have anything to do with this. I think that that's his larger point. And he just makes it that same point in various ways without coming out and saying it. I think that his stance of not, I, I have personally felt that the stance of not calling radical Islam what it is, is detrimental to the discussion. You're not saying that every Muslim is a radical. If you, I, I guarantee that Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama would have no problem calling a radical Christian group a radical Christian group, probably. Uh, no, nor would I, by the way. Right, and neither would I, because yeah. yet they are saying that they are Christians. Right. Westboro Baptist Church is saying that they are Christians. They are a radical right. Christian right. group. Are they terrorists? I, I, no, no, I don't think no, so, no, obviously. But they're radicals. But they're and, radicals. And if they did and, something, we'd point that out. Right. Now, that, you know, that is what it is. But I don't understand why there's this obsession with not. I think you can't understand the theology if you're not willing to call it what it is. It's right. a twisted theology that needs to be understood. And so right. I, that's just my stance. I don't. So this whole thing is silly to me. We should just call it what it is and move on. Right. Um, yeah. And not and not slam all of Islam by doing that. No. And know, it's not the, an intent. I mean, for the most part, when it comes from you and me, a particular, I can speak for myself. When it comes from me. It's not an attempt to slam Islam. I think it's a wake up call to say if you want to understand why this is happening, this is why they're claiming Islam. So how do we show that they are wrong in this? And how do we continue to work with our friends who are Islamic and say, okay, how do we avoid this? And how do I help you avoid this and stay accountable? I mean, right. I mean, I don't want right. my Islamic right. friends, my Muslim friends to get sucked into this either. No. And, and I think really, I don't know. I just think political political correctness, and I think this is like cliche at this point because so many people have said it, but <clears throat> political correctness really does come with a cost. And yeah. I think one yeah. of the costs of political correctness is actually what we are seeing happen in politics right now, the obsession with certain candidates who are not politically correct because they're not politically correct and for no other reason, yeah. people loving them so much because they're willing to say whatever they feel like saying. Well, that is a that is that is a cost of political correctness. It's an yeah. effect of political correctness, yeah. I think. And anyway, I can go on and on. But right. let's, let's we need to uh, talk about atheists. We haven't talked about atheists in weeks. Do you have an atheist? You have an atheist story, right? Let me get let me get this just a second. Go. Of course, of course, I have an atheist story. So <laughs> I actually love this one. Now the atheists are saying they don't care because you know they don't care what people put on their private property. But there was a post office in Pittsburgh, Kansas, that had this four by twelve banner. Up outside the post office, they put this banner up in 2001, right after 9-11. It says, God bless America. Now, that obviously was something that was done at the time uh, as people processed through 9-11, tried to you know, really think through what happened, try to find a rallying point for the community. Right. The banner had stayed up for almost 16 years. Wow. Okay, no, Nobody ever took it down. Stayed up. In fact, so much so that when it was removed, which we'll get into that in a second, when it was removed from the building, it actually left, there's a stain mark of where the banner was. Oh, like a sun fading kind of thing? Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah, exactly. So now, atheists got involved, Freedom From Religion Foundation, and complained, and I guess they waged a formal complaint, and the U.S. Post Office demanded that this banner come down off of that building because there is a code that apparently says nothing can be posted unless it's an official government message. So 
what what has mm. happened here though is that the community was so outraged by this, and I love when this happens because it just makes me it it makes my heart grow a half a size, not a full size, a half a size because <laughs> it takes a lot to get to a full size. But about fifteen hundred people came to pick up banners and signs that were produced by this local business, and we're gonna I want to have this business on the show, uh, in fact, because I think it's fascinating. It's um. Jake's Fireworks is it's a fireworks place, I guess, of the business. They printed up all these banners and people were lined up in the community to get these. So now <laughs> you can't, you know, you can't pass gas or turn around without seeing a giant <laughs> sign that says God bless America on somebody's lawn. Oh, that's They're funny. everywhere. That's and apparently I got an email from them. They reached out to me, the company. They, I think and I think this is the number. They printed another 2000 of these. Wow. So. The community, I mean, there's video of the, and even the town tweeted and from the official town account of people lining up to get these signs because they're so outraged. Can we can we get our own like you and me to have in our own offices just to. Oh, we should. We should actually ask them for them. Get a hold of them. I mean, you, are, you already have a contact with them and talk to them. And say, Listen, yeah, yeah, I want to have love them on the show. I'd love, I to hang one, I'd love to have them hanging here in my office. It'd be fun just for, you know, just for snicks and giggles. I love it. So, Let's OK, it. let me ask you this. So the the atheists are saying that there's a rule that says the government building, which a post office is, cannot post a non-government message. Is that correct? A message that doesn't come from yes. government? Okay. Almost, almost every State of the Union speech from the commander-in-chief ends with, God bless the United States of America. If well, the post office put that up and put quotes around it and put uh, Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Barack Obama underneath it to say these people have said that. Wouldn't that be a government message? Couldn't they just put up God bless America? Because the president said it in the State of the Union. They it is a government. Could. It is a government message. We're quoting the we are quoting the commander in chief. I don't know. It might have to come from the U.S. Post Office. I don't know the exact stipulation on that. But what what Sam Sorbo said, because I was talking to her about this, she said, why don't they just put up in God we trust instead? That's yeah, definitely exactly. a government message. Well, it's the, yeah, it's the U.S. motto. So, right, exactly. So, I and it's on our currency (laughs) and everything else. Okay, okay, I gotta tell you this. Back when I lived in Virginia, so you know, the the, the post office does stamps every year, Christmas. They do different kind of stamps all the time, Elvis stamps or whatever. But every Christmas, church boy stamps, that's what I would love a church boy stamp. I would actually start using the post office again. Now, the post office puts out these, you know, they'll put out Christmas, uh, Christmas stamps or holiday stamps. And they're always something, you know, they're always, they're always something that has to do with, you know, uh, 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 Christmas and, uh, Hanukkah and, uh, uh, what's the one? Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa. At least those three. And then other, you know, Christmasy or Christmas related or holiday themed or Rudolph the red nosed reindeer themed or whatever, you know, and they do that every year, which is fine. It's whatever. But I remember back in Virginia, this little town in Occoquan we used to live in. <laughs> it was the first year that they had, maybe not the first year, but they had a, they had um, Mary holding Jesus, okay, a stamp that had Mary holding Jesus, along with several other, you know, with the, with the Kwanzaa and with the uh, uh, Hanukkah stamps. But there was one you could buy, you could buy the Hanukkah ones, or you could buy you know, with a menorah on it or whatever, and you could buy the, the 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 Kwanzaa stamps, you could buy the other Christmassy holiday themed ones, you could buy this one that had Mary holding Jesus. So we go into the, my wife and I go into, uh, go into the post office, just this little post office, nicest lady in the world that was working there. And, uh, and 
we told her we wanted to get some stamps, some Christmas stamps, because we mail, mail our Christmas cards. She said, oh, okay, here, I've got a few, I've got several, we've got several different ones here, and she showed us these. She says, we've got Rudolph, we've got this one, we've got this one. She says, and then we have this one of this woman holding a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I said, what? She said, yeah, we have this stamp of oh, this woman holding a baby. And I said, you mean Mary holding Jesus? So, <laughs> oh, is that what that is? That's what she said. <laughs> It's just, oh my gosh, how far have we fallen? And this woman's older than me. I mean, it's somebody who should know. You should know what this is a picture of. How do you not know? Because there's something wrong with America at oh this my point. Gosh. Anyway, so that was at the post office. Anyway, and are those official government messages? The the the, the, the woman holding a baby stamps. I mean, yeah, they are. You would think. I mean, so why don't they just put a giant stamp? On- to blow up it's like a 12 by 12 poster hanging outside uh, and everyone's gonna walk by and they're gonna be like who's that woman holding the baby there's a woman holding the baby on there what's that that's ridiculous right. anyway that was stupid all right all right we... i want another awkward transition okay are we are, are we awkward transitioning into our first interview or are we awkward transitioning into another story here let's awkward transition to our first interview okay let me do this uh how about this one do that that one was inept, but um, okay, anyway. Wait. Go ahead. Rosh Gage. I don't understand what just happened, but um, so oh, Michael W. Smith. It actually made me forget. It was so it was so enchanting. We interviewed Michael W. Smith, He's who a, uh, has been new best, a singer, new best, new best friend. He has been a singer since the Stone Age. Yes, he's been around a long time. I think he's on his eleventeenth album. I think he helped. I, I think he helped Newton write Amazing Grace. <laughs> he helped the dinosaurs uh, <laughs> graze, but um, no, he's been a singer for forever. And actually, yeah. it was a great interview. Really it was. cool he's guy. Yeah, and I, like uh, he, I mean, look, anybody who releases an album exclusively through Crackle Barrel, has, Crackle Barrel has Crackle my Bar- vote. Crackle Barrel. Crackle Barrel. This oh. is what happens when you don't sleep. I love Crackle. Do you like Crackle Barrel? Uh, I, what do you think? <laughs> I love Cracker Barrel. Oh my gosh, it's the best. Oh, wonderful. The closest I know, we don't one have to, one here either. The closest one to me is like Boise. There's not one like over in Why Portland or one? Seattle or anything. It's like Boise is like the closest one. It's ridiculous. How far does from Seattle are you? About five and a half hours. Five hours. Uh, about five hours. Far. I'm about five hours from Boise too. I want to go visit the original Starbucks. Um, go ahead. Come on over. We'll drive over. My sisters live over there. We'll go over and stay with them. That sounds good. All right, so let's let's just play this interview. Let's just roll it. All right, here we go. Hey, it's Billy Hollowell and Chris Field here with the Church Boys, and we have one of, if not, I think I would actually venture to say the biggest name in Christian music, Michael W. Smith, on the line today. How you doing today, Michael? Doing well. How are y'all doing? Doing great. We're doing great. We're excited to have you on. You know, I have a a lot... I have a lot of questions for you, and I know one thing that we're here to talk about is is your new album, and we're going to do that. But I have to I have to ask you because your career I find completely fascinating. I find anybody who's able to survive in music um, for more than two years <laughs> to be to be amazing. And you've been, you've been doing music for a very long time. I'm just gonna I'm gonna throw it out there with the first question: what What is the secret to surviving decades in the music industry? Reveal it to us. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, there's probably several things. I mean, I, uh, you know, I think you got to surround yourself with great people. Um, 
you know, people you got in your career and whether that's record company managers, whatever. I mean, that's a big part of it. And then, um, yeah, I mean, just staying accountable and all that sort of thing. And then, and then just learning how to reinvent yourself without trying to be something that you're not, you know? Um, and I've kind of, I guess I've had to reinvent quite a bit. Um, yeah. And I'm just, I think, I think this is something I'm still passionate about. I love it. I mean, I guess, I guess you just have to thank the fans. I mean, I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, for someone, I mean, this is 33 years for me and, um, it doesn't happen very often. So I pinch myself every morning. I wake <laughs> up, and, you know, they're still coming. I just like yeah. that. That just kind of blows my mind, you know? So, you know, we're doing something right. I've made my share of mistakes and written some maybe not so good songs in the past. And, but, you know, I still think from time to time you land on something that resonates with people's hearts and they, they want to come and hear it. They want to buy it. It becomes a part, a part of the fabric of their life, you know? Um, yeah, so I think it's a number of things, but those are just a few things that kind of come off the top of my head. So this was encouraging to me, Michael. It's Chris here. I'm the less talented of the of the duo here. Um, <laughs> what was really encouraging to me in what you said was that apparently talent has nothing to do with it. So someone like me looking for easy money, uh, that's the way to go then. <laughs> uh, I don't think so, Chris. I love that. <laughs> You're incredible. It's... I, I, you know, I, you are an incredibly talented songwriter and performer, and you and you know what works. I mean, I know you're you got to play the humble card because you're one of those Christian artists, and you have to be humble. But let us praise you and say it's the secret first and foremost is you have a talent that God gave you that you are using in the right way, and you're incredibly talented, and people should know that that it's not just all these other things that it that it starts with the talent that God gave you, and you certainly have it, man. Well, yeah, ultimately, I mean that's. I mean, everybody wants to hit in their sweet spot, you know. Um, I think every one of us are gifted, and, you know, we all just kind of got to reconnect with why we're here and what are we supposed to do with our contribution. And, you know, it was just music for me since I was five years old, making up songs, playing Beatles songs. And remember I played Hey Jude for my mom and dad when I was like seven or eight, and they were going, how'd you do that? There's no sheet music for Hey Jude, you know. (laughs) And was able just to hear something and be able to play it. I mean, pop music-wise, I could do that, you know. So, yeah, so, yeah, just, um, and I don't think it has to do, like, I don't feel like I'm the greatest singer in the world at all. Um, I've I've always felt, and I can carry a tune, I've got almost perfect pitch, you know, but, I think it really comes down to the song. We're like, what, what are, are there any songs that are timeless? Are there any songs that you can write that really will stand the test of time? And, you know, I think Friends has been one of those things, right. one of those songs which I don't really necessarily think is like the greatest song ever written, but there's something about Friends that people still want to hear it 33, 34 years later, yeah. you know, or yep. a place in this world, or I'll be here for you, whatever. So to me, I think you can have an okay voice and you can, you know, if you just carry a tune, but man, if you have a great song, if you land on a song that really resonates, man, I think that's a big part of, of what a career can be. And I think that's, I really do believe at the end of the day, it really all began not only recognizing that it was a God given talent, but it all really started with the song. Yeah. Well, and you've had, you've had 32 and correct me if I'm wrong, cause I don't want to down, I don't want to you know knock down too many numbers. I'm pretty sure it's 32 number one songs. And, 
I have to say, I, I think it's we have this joke on this show because we've had a lot of people on. Um, we've had you know, a lot of musicians on the show. We've had Matthew West, and we love them all. Crowder, right. um, Natalie Grant was recently on. Yeah, so we have this joke that every time they come on, they then are nominated for a Grammy after, even though some of them had already been nominated. Except and we, for, we love to take credit for that. Except uh, but for you Matthew have actually West. won three Grammys and 45 Dove Awards. Do you have like... I mean, this is crazy to me. I need to know where these awards are. Do you have like a room filled with awards at home? I mean, where do you put 45 Dove Awards? <laughs> uh, well, they're not on display, believe it or not. And I, and I don't want to I don't want to downplay my I, I, I'm not ungrateful at all. I'm extremely grateful and honored that I would people would vote for me. Um, I'm just not a shrine guy. I'm just not going to build a shrine. I'm just not going to do it. So. Honestly, I think I've got my American Music Award and my three Grammys on a shelf in my great room, and I think most of the Dove Awards are in a shelf with the doors closed. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> I think that's where most of them Which, are. So it's a lot of awards. Well, he's, he's far—he's a far better man than I, Billy, because my office, as you know, <laughs> is lined with trophies and certificates for partic- for participation. <laughs> yeah. I was just gonna say, what did you win? <laughs> oh, nothing. I'm not a winner of any kind. Um, well, we have to ask you. We, you know, I want I want to know about the new album. T- take us through a little bit of, of hymns to shine on us. I know this is available um, exclusively at at Cracker Barrel locations. T- you know, take me through this and the process of this particular album in terms of the music and and what you're hoping people take away from it. Well, this is a little different than the first one. You know, I, you know, I grew up in the church. Um, you know, I, I, I actually a lot of these hymns were you know, especially on the first record, were a big part of the fabric of my life. They sort of helped me build my faith, and and I've always wanted to do a hymns record, but gosh, how do you do that? Where does that fit in the big picture of what I'm doing pop-wise? And and then I got inspired by Alan Jackson, who did a hymns record. He did it for his mom, and and then I started finding out about Cracker Barrel and thought, wow, Cracker Barrel could be a really good, it could just be a good teammate here. This could be a good connection with them and myself and we just asked them i think somebody made a call and said would you consider letting me do a hymns record and let it go exclusively through cracker barrel and they were all in and that's what i did on the first record and it just it's done so well i mean it's still just selling it just blows my mind i didn't, I didn't have any expectations honestly i just thought hey sell ten thousand fifteen thousand i don't know what they sell yeah. and it's just kind of flown out the door so they, they're the ones who came back and said man would you we love the first one, and it's still selling. Would you do another one? So, so, so is that, I did, is, and this one's really different than the first one. It's a little, it's a little bit bigger production, and it's and it's a little bit of the old Eminem. Yeah, is it on it? Still some hymns on hymns on there, but some some new things as well. So I think that's what makes it unique. Is it on a Cracker Barrel lab, label? I haven't seen the I haven't seen the album yet. Is it on a Cracker Barrel label, or do they have their own label? Yeah, I mean, okay. yeah, I mean, it's there. It's still see the Cracker Barrel on the front of the CD. Right. I mean, I own the master, you know. Okay. So, but but they they have the you know, they have it exclusively for two years. So okay. you can't find it at Target. You can't find it at Walmart. You just got to get it at Cracker Barrel. Nice. And, and people still buy it. CDs at Cracker Barrel. That blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's something about Cracker Barrel though. When you go in, you want to buy something. Like, I mean, obviously the food's great, but you go and you you want to shop there. It's just yeah. like a cool shopping yeah. experience. And I say that because I never get to go. I'm in. I'm just outside of New York City, and we don't really have them. We might have them. I'm sure I know Pennsylvania, but not right where I am. So I'm always like really excited when I get to go. Well, if you were Barrel. if you were to look at a picture of Billy or of me, you would see that we are obviously P- Cracker Barrel fans. I mean, <laughs> we're built like that. So. I love it. I got to see that. <laughs> I love it. Well, 
you know, I have to ask you another cra- crazy question, though, um, and we're going to make sure we link out to the album. And you, I don't know if you'll have a story you want to share, but we asked this to Matthew West, too, because I just think it's it's so funny. Like, do you have a crazy fan story, like something weird that happened? And I know that, you know, with Christian artists, you have to be careful how you, you know, <laughs> what stories you share. But has there ever been anything that is just sort of like weird or wild that sticks out to you in your career? Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, but more, probably more earlier in my career, but just like, you know, I remember the girl who just, you know, <laughs> God told her that, I, that we're supposed to be married. You right. know, so like, and I'm going, <laughs> I'm already married, you know. But it was just, I'm, I'm not sure that we we serve the same God here. So <laughs> obviously didn't tell me that. Stuff like that, you right. know. Or, or, yeah. or even just lately, which is crazy. Yeah, I saw some tweet, and I don't get on social media that much. I mean, I tweet some stuff, but I don't spend just tons of time on social media. But somebody showed me on something on social media. Amy Grant and I were doing this, you know, we do this Christmas tour of symphonies around the country. We're having a blast, and and some girl going, "Oh, they look so good. They would make a great couple." And I'm going, <laughs> "Hello, so you know, I'm married. She's married to Vince. Hello, what you know." So it's just, it's just like, it's just you, you have a few people that uh, that. It's a little bizarre, to say the least. Yeah. So I I love the just, woman who you know, was and that's that, and that's very few, but but yeah. but they stick out for some reason. Yeah. So. Well, there's a reason it sticks out. It's a little weird. A little weird. A lot of weird. Little little strange. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It totally is. Well, no, I love it, and I appreciate you taking the time. Now, is there is there anything else you want people to know about the album? Like, is there a favorite song you have? Something that you you know that? Yeah. Let's just go with that question. Is there a favorite song you have on the album? Well, gosh, I like them all, honestly. I mean, I think the most unique um, is down down to the river, down to the river to pray, and all inspired. I never get going to see Oh Brother Where Art Thou. It was an incredible movie, um, and that and I've I mean, I've known this song my whole life. You know, it's an old spiritual, and I think Allison Krauss did it on Oh Brother Where Art Thou. And so I just I just got a wild hunch. I just want I'd love to try this and try to smittyfy it you know try yeah. to do give it some sort of you know give it my twist and it's the opening cut on the record and that's and it's so funny because i've got all these grandkids now and all the grandkids that's that's the that's that's what they want to hear they've heard the whole record they all want to hear down to the river to pray which is really interesting so i think there's something uh magical about it there's yeah. something about it that feels fresh and we'll have to see if everybody else feels the same way but all the kids love that one well the cross version was a great record i'm excited to hear your your version of it i think it i think it'll be fantastic now let me ask you i want to ask you a, a you know a serious question uh, even even i can ask a serious question from time to time what's your uh what's your faith journey been how did you come to know christ what i mean when did he did he knock you down when you were six or did it take being in your teen years or was there a, a pivot point in your life that you can point to that, that might be inspiring for others or, or uh, something you'd want to share with people? Well, two things come to mind. I became a believer when I was 10, 10 years old. I mean, I just, I remember sitting with all my friends and just something happened. It was like an epiphany. I mean, it was like, it was like, oh my gosh, it's like the light bulb went off and yeah. going, uh, Jesus really is who he said he was. I, I, I'm just, I'm in awe. I did, and I walked down the aisle. I just, and that that was a that was a that was very real, and I know, I can remember every little detail about it and getting baptized the next Sunday night. And then another time was when I lost my way. Long story, I've written books about it. You can read all the gory details of my crazy drug phase, which is just 
still to this day can't believe I did that for four years and got deceived and almost died several times. And but thankfully the prayers of my mom and dad, man, they just never gave up on me. They never kicked me out of the house. They never said anything negative. They just prayed for me. And I'm I'm, I'm no beyond a shadow of a doubt. I'm in my car talking to you guys because of my mom and dad, because I should have been dead. Yeah. And it was 1979. I had this, I had, I mean, I felt like I had a nervous breakdown, but I felt like the, the God, of the universe just came down and just laid on the floor with me, man. This little Nolan floor in East Nashville. And I, I wept for three hours and because I became, you know, I knew, I knew I was going to lose my life. If something didn't change, I just began to beg God for a rescue. I felt wow. like I was in this pit and, 15 foot deep, no ladder to get out. I was stuck. Wow. And in November of 79, it all changed for me. And I hadn't been the same since then. Wow. So, um, I, and, uh, and we're in the middle of this interview and Billy's phone dropped out, but that's okay. We, you and I can continue here for a couple minutes. I did have another question for you. And I remember mm-hmm. as, a, as a kid, my formative, my form, my teen years were, um, you know, late, early, mid nineties. And in the in the early '90s, there was a big crossover. We started to see the major crossovers, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the major crossovers between Christian music and contemporary, you know, um, contemporary music, where you and Amy Grant and even Petra were having. Oh, are you still there? I'm here. Okay, sorry. I just my Skype just dinged at me, but um, you and Amy Grant and even Petra and some other groups were having some uh, some crossover hits into contemporary, you know, non-Christian uh, formats. Uh, and there was a lot of accusations flying around about uh, about Christian artists making compromises. Even though, even though as a teenager I didn't see it, I know that there there was those discussions happening amongst the churchy types. Uh, what was did they, was that? Did you feel that impact? Did you were you privy to those conversations? Is that something that you remember that stands out to you? And and if so, what were your thoughts on that? Well, I, I remember it vividly. I mean. I mean, Amy really took the most heat. I mean, yeah. she, you know, when Baby Baby came out, right. I mean, she really took a lot of heat for that. And I took some heat for a place in this world. I mean, it was, I, I mean, I'm, you know, I would never debate with these people because, in my opinion, there was nothing to debate. Right. I mean, that I had a song on pop radio and you get bookstores and people say that I've sold out and I've lost my faith. I'm yeah. like, hello, McFly, hello. <laughs> I mean, what, what's that all about, yeah. you know? And it was just the weirdest thing, you know. Where I would host. I remember I hosted VH1. Right. It was me and Luther Vandross hosting VH1 in 1991, and I had all these stores in Alabama pull my records because there was a Budweiser commercial on the VH1 countdown, <laughs> and they all think I, I endorsed Budweiser. I'm going. <laughs> it just was just bizarre. Yeah, it was weird. really bizarre. But you know what? I have no regrets. Yeah. I mean. I didn't write that song for pop radio. I just have always written what I feel. Right. But I do remember when I wrote Place, I thought the first thing I thought about was um, I think this song is more than just for the Christian market. I, I really felt like it yeah. was a pop hit. And yeah. Geffen Records felt the same way. The major record company that we were involved in, it was distributing on the mainstream side. And there was a champion on the inside, a girl named Claire West. And she said, you know what? This song's a hit. Yeah. And she risk her job and she just went for it and all of a sudden we place ended up being a big hit all around the world you yeah. know so but yeah it was just weird you know but, but again i didn't debate because there wasn't nothing to, to debate in my opinion that i didn't i don't feel like i did anything wrong i yeah. feel like gosh and there's so and the stories about man the, the girl driving down the freeway i'll never forget reading the letter 
pull it, right, driving down the freeway here in Place in this world on a pop radio station and pulled up. She was suicidal. It's a, it's a remarkable story. Pulled over on the side of the road and began to weep. Yeah. And just and had a God encounter, had a Jesus encounter, yeah. and it changed it changed her life. She's married and had kids these these days, and it all changed by that one song. So yeah. those are the things I remember that were extremely positive from it. And yeah, and you have to go by that because good, you know, good only good fruit can produce that result. Bad fruit doesn't produce that result. So it, I, I agree. Let me. I want I wanted to recount a story for you. It was at the same time as in the early '90s, and you do you remember Jesus Northwest? I, I say I live out here on the West Coast. I'm over here in Washington State, oh, yeah. and Billy's in New York. Absolutely. So we this was at the height of this time when people were criticizing you and Amy, and even Pet, like I said, even Petra and some other some other people who are having these crossover hits, right? And some of the um, yeah, <laughs> I, I've never hidden the fact that I'm I'm born and raised Nazarene, and I had some extremely Nazarene people. Um, <laughs> Who were you know speaking in my ear some some questions about you know where you were and and we had to as kids kind of fight that back but at the same time understand what their point was anyway we went to Jesus Northwest and you came and your your entire band was sick that weekend and you came and you just played you just they brought your keyboard out and you just played and um and you and you spoke and you gave a testimony that I'm telling you, your courage to come out there and willingness to, even when you and your band were sick, your willingness to come out and perform for these, you know, thousands upon thousands of teenagers made an impression upon those adults who were there. And suddenly they changed their tune because you were willing to come out and share the gospel. And you just came out and talked about your faith in Christ. And it's that boldness that really put them to go, okay, yo, I misjudged this guy. And so, you know, I want you to know that it during those times and it doesn't matter it's you know it's 20 25 years ago but it doesn't it doesn't matter in the whole scheme of things but your willingness to stand up and take a stand even in the midst of taking that heat you didn't duck down you didn't you know cover when the fire was coming in you you stood up and said this is where i stand and i'm telling you it impacted thousands of lives when you did that wow well i'm grateful so I am. That's great. Thanks for telling me that. that yeah. I, I forgot about that. Now I remember. Wow. <laughs> well, hey, it has been awesome having you on. Is there anything else you're wanting to plug while you're here? I mean, you know, it's, we, we're just a dumb podcast, but we we love getting to talk to people who are who who make way more money <laughs> than we not do. A, not a dumb podcast. You guys are making a difference. I appreciate. No, I appreciate the time. Appreciate what you guys are doing. All I right. really, yeah, this is all good. I, you know, I'm, I'm excited about the record. You know, I know it's unique and different and it's, you can only find a cracker barrel but well the record business has really changed and yeah. i just think there's some gems on here i think and i can say that because a lot of these songs i didn't write but i think there's there's some life-changing moments on this album i hope everybody gets to hear it so i, I, hope but so I, I really i really appreciate the time thank you so much great thanks a lot michael we appreciate it back to the church board so Billy and I were just laughing off air because this next story, oh my goodness. <laughs> Speaking of stories, now, I was reveling in your pain about going to D.C., and I don't know what's wrong with me, but this story and stories where people are made miserable for some reason bring me great joy. And somebody had a story up today that I edited about a woman who died in a bakery at a grocery store. This is terrible. And it is, it's so sad because this woman in Utah was in a bakery and she's using this industrial sized 
<sighs> mixer, right? Because it's kneading the dough and stuff. And apparently the bowl is like two feet wide by two feet deep or whatever. So it's one of those big, strong, industrial mixers. And apparently her clothing got caught in it. She got sucked into the thing, right? And it pulled her down and it killed her. And which is very sad. But what's disturbing to me is my first reaction was not how sad. My first reaction was to text the writer, Catherine. I said, so I'm hoping that they threw out the dough she was she was making. What is wrong? And her with response you? is, "Oh my god!" Yes, because that's the normal human response. To and that. I don't know. I, I don't know what's wrong with me because that's where my mind went first. Right? I think was, we're was desensitized. To the, was to all the shtick. I guess I don't know, but it's and it's it's sad. And she left behind her little boy and everything. I mean, he's it's a very sad story, but it is. I don't know why my brain goes there first. There's but, something wrong with your brain. There's there. something <laughs> clearly. So, and so anyway, I say that to say I took great joy about this story that you're about to relay to the people uh, <laughs> about a fake priest. <laughs> this reminds me. Of the man who was living in the uh, attic of the church, wasn't it like oh, years? Yeah, Do you remember the story yeah, yeah. from October? Yeah, and who was it? We had somebody on who talked about it. Was it Matthew West or somebody? I think we might have had Matthew West on and to talk, to, to talk yeah, about yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. And like they, there were these myster- mysterious noises that yeah. the church janitor yeah. heard, <laughs> and then they re- they, they realized found a ladder. That, what they found a ladder, right? He was like climbing in and yeah, out of like, the, the attic <clears throat> at nighttime. Yeah, for like, but didn't it go on for years? For three years. Yeah. For three, I'm yeah. looking at it right now. For three years. And he used, he would pull uh, the ladder up with him, apparently. Yeah. And then, yeah, like, yeah, I don't yeah. I don't understand exactly how it worked. I, I can't figure it out, but I, I, what a bizarre story. Yeah, it was weird. Anyway, this one is better, I think, though. Um, maybe not better, but uh, this is all alleged. So let's preface <laughs> okay. it with that because we have to, we have to be careful. Yes, but this man named Erwin Mena. He would call himself, allegedly call himself Padre. He apparently would show up to different Catholic churches in <laughs> California and, and say he was a priest. And apparently this is a very big problem because the Catholic Church, at least the ones in California, they allegedly have this list where they put all the people's names who you should be aware of yeah. because they, they do this. And his right. name was on that list since at least 2008 from what, we, oh, what really? we've heard. And but apparently this last church that he showed up to last year, he they they didn't they really needed somebody and they didn't think to apparently look at that list, oh, which no. his name was on. Oh, so no. he's there for like five months. He sets up a trip for parishioners to go <laughs> and see Pope Francis. They pay him all this money. Of course, there's no trip to go see Pope Francis. But he apparently took confessions, <laughs> performed baptisms, celebrated mass. Did he marry um, anybody? And, what? Did he marry anybody? There was a couple. There's at least oh, no. one couple that he married because the, the one of the stories that I had read while I was preparing my, my story for the blaze had said that he um, <laughs> that that marriage had been quote recelebrated. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so weird. How did he get caught? How did he get caught? Uh, he got caught because the priest at that church realized that something was fishy and uh, and and reported oh, yeah. him to the authorities and the LAPD arrested him. Um, this week, and you know, there you go. I mean, it's just That's totally so, bizarre. It is weird, and and who knows what kind of like vulnerable people he was around, right? Was he leading? Did he get? A, did he have chances to lead groups like for people who've been through divorce or or were in a vulnerable state or around That's children or any of that? 
I mean, That's a good imagine? question. I know like from, from what the LAPD has put out, there's not a lot of information uh, right now. I'm sure at this point, this is a couple of days ago, there's, there's got to be some court documents. I'm going to take a deeper look because I think it's a fascinating well, and story. Can you imagine if, and, if he committed a crime, the lawsuit the church would be facing? Like if he had right. done something to somebody in that church? Oh, yeah. No, it's it's crazy, and I think you know. Really, it, apparently though, they knew they knew of this that he had been doing this over and over again. This was not so, this was not something that was new, oh. and oh. I, I had heard. Obviously, he was on the list allegedly since two thousand and eight, but that this may have been going on since the mid nineteen nineties. Wow, with him, and he was just able to I mean, get that, away with it claim. for that long. Jeez, old Pete. So now I, you know people now, lost money and stuff though too on that Pope Francis trip. So that's really the big thing. Has is he the, is the money? Has he applied? Um, just a second. So he he did he ever get to meet the Pope or did he meet anybody big? I mean, does, was there any? Not that we know of. I don't think that that trip. I don't think that ever happened. I don't. I wondered like, what's the game plan, right? If you ta- are taking money, do you just disappear? Right after you know what I mean. Like if you're not going to provide this trip, I I don't know. I really don't know. But so that's it's very strange. Very very strange. And I think so. You know, the, the, they're claiming he was defrauding people. That was the whole point. Now I have a question. Has do you know yet? Has he applied for a position at the New Chapel Unitarian and Free Christian Church in <laughs> in uh, in the UK? Because it, it seems to me he um, would qualify because you don't really have to have any sort of belief system at all to go there or oh credentials boy, or credentials apparently. This is the church that you're referring to in the UK. They're apparently the first church ever in the UK to, to institute transgender baptisms. And I think that that's kind of interesting for a number of reasons. But they're obviously a universalist church, so they don't really have any set doctrine at all, um, or from bo- what we know. Or, yeah, and, no set beliefs. It's a Unitarian church. Everything goes. Whatever you believe is fine. Now... What the, the way this came about is there was a same-sex couple that came to get married. They married them. They have a transgender kid, the same-sex couple, apparently. Oh. And that kid is a 10-year-old, I, I believe, from what reports are saying, born as a boy, identifies as a girl, and was baptized as a boy, but now wants to be, as, at, a ten, at 10 years old, baptized as a girl with a diff, with the new name. Because the, so, the first one didn't take because he was he was a boy then? <laughs> So, um, this church has agreed uh, to do it, well, I, and they it, and now they're getting all this frankly, attention. Frankly, so, um, it, frank, frankly, it it as far as that person's beliefs, it doesn't mean anything, right? It, all it does is is hurt the understanding of what baptism actually is amongst people who should know better. I mean, this well, baptism, this second baptism, what, first and second baptism don't matter at all. I mean, a wit to this person, you know, a hundred years from now. What what is? I just think that all of this, and I keep taking, I keep looking at everything that's going on, and it's fascinating to me because I think we're all so desensitized yeah, to it. Yeah. I think Christians know what's going on, and they see it, and they get it, and they understand that these dynamics are probably only going to get more bizarre, and yeah. that all of this stuff is is going to just continue happening. But the rest of the world thinks that there is this big march towards progress on all of these different fronts, right? right? And it's just I'm fascinated by that dichotomy and the difference uh, that you have all of these people s- saying this is not going in the direction it should be and this is scary. Yeah. And you have all these other people who are praising it. And I guess that's the way things have always been. But I just think – like to me, every time I write one of these stories, I think, well, here's the first of a million stories on this topic yeah. because yeah. it's – it's only going to get whatever weird. the topic. It's, it's only going to get weirder. 
right we're we're not we're not settling down as a species so well you know oh did i also tell you that larry pressler do you know larry pressler uh that name sounds kind of familiar who is it um you know chris you're disappointing me he's a former u.s senator um you you had to just go look it up i watched you i just watched you go look it up no, no, no. I'm looking up something else about oh, him because, okay. yes, that is. OK, so the reason there was this story about him converting and becoming a Mormon, and this was early 2015. That's I was okay. just confirming that it was him. I saw him at the at the party the night before the breakfast and I and I went to approach him and talk to him and he was like not interested in talking. But um, <laughs> we need to catch up with him because he has a really fascinating conversion story into the Mormon faith. Like in, and he in, did this at like 73 years old into the Mormon faith. Interesting. Yeah, he became a Mormon last year, and he's huh. no longer a senator. So that's what I was looking at because I wanted to confirm that detail before I said it. But yeah, he uh, three-term U.S. senator, and it was kind of a big from where? deal. But then it like went away. The story. Where's he from? I think he was a. I want to say Maryland. I think you're making this up. South Dakota. The name Washington. is Washington. No, no, I, I think it is South not, Dakota. Yeah, it was Dakota, South Dakota. Right. All right. So okay. So speaking of weird. We're going to take a break here and then hopefully at the other side of this break, we're, we're supposed to go do an interview with somebody and we're hoping that this works out, right? Do we want to say now yeah, who it is hoping. that we're supposed to? Cause who knows if something, if something happens and it doesn't happen. Let's say it. Let's say it. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. We are interviewing the one, the only share. <laughs> okay. That's a lie. That's a lie. Um, but not to get you guys excited. We are interviewing the one. The only Ben Carson. Yes. And that is true. We are right. interviewing Ben Carson. But we're supposed to do that here in a, in a couple minutes. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a break here. We're going to go interview Dr. Carson, and then we'll come up and we'll wrap we'll wrap up the show. Right? That Chris might, yeah, Chris might end with an interpretive dance. Uh, almost, almost guaranteed. So, all right? Awesome. So let's head out, and then we'll be back shortly. The church boys. Man, I eat these guys. Now, we have got something incredibly special for you people. And, and we told you going into the break that we needed to go record an interview. And it finally has happened. There were some delays. And it wasn't anybody's fault. It's just there was weather issues. It's God's fault. There was weather issues. Anyway, it's we did God's get... God's fault. But it only, it only got delayed by an hour or so. But we recorded this interview with, with Ben Carson. And it is... Billy, am I overstating it to say fantastic? I think it was fantastic. I thought it was really I, I good. Think, I really liked it. I I did too, and I I think that he is, regardless of where people stand, uh, one of the most honest people to have run in recent years oh, yeah. for president. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, we get into that. That's part of what we talk about, and including, and even Bernie Sanders makes an appearance. Well, not an appearance, but he's talked about his it. hair isn't combed as usual. <laughs> Ben's or I the man? Oh, no, Ben has very nice he combed, does have nice fine hair. hair. He does. Uh, but Bernie Sanders does not. <laughs> did you see? He does him not on, own you, a comb. Did you see? Him I mean, like, take a toothbrush to it. I mean, do anything. Lick your hand and wipe your hair down. Do <laughs> something. <laughs> All right. So anyway, I've never seen anything like it. Anything we else we need to say before we roll this? Before we roll this? Uh, this Ben Carson interview, which which was which I love. We'll talk oh, about we it when we come talk, back. Go ahead. We can talk about where I re- where where the very professional. Um, <laughs> show that we are where I recorded this Ben Carson interview from. I hope Mr. Carson, Dr. Carson is not listening. Um, <laughs> inside of my car in my garage. <laughs> He's got his, you don't have the car running, do you? No. In the garage? Okay. I don't. 
But I'm. It's, well, we'll talk about. Let's <laughs> let's play the interview. <laughs> why do you think I asked? <laughs> it's chilly in here. Let's start the car. <laughs> I'm getting sleepy. Okay, let's talk about this when we come back. Let's play this interview, and then we'll be right back. It's Billy Hollowell here with the Church Boys, and we are very excited to have Dr. Ben Carson on the show today. How you doing today, Dr. Carson? I'm doing great up here in snowy New Hampshire. I know, I know. The weather, the weather I'm sure, has been uh, crazy there, as it has been in many other areas of the country. And we're happy to have you on today. I, I have so many questions for you. I think yeah, the first thing, I'm just going gonna, gonna to jump right into this. And I know I've heard you speak to this uh, quite a bit on the campaign trail, but... You know, when you look at where we currently are uh, in, in our culture today and where we currently are in our politics, what do you think uh, that you would bring to the presidency that is currently lacking? Uh, a, a wealth of experience uh, in America going from the bottom 1% to the top 1%, at least 10 different jobs in different sectors. Um, the ability to solve extremely complex problems that have never been solved before, thinking out of the box, and uh, most importantly, honesty and integrity. Yeah, I think we, we clearly lack those, those elements in our culture as a whole. And I think one of the things that has shined through the most, and I think that, that the people who have come to uh, really follow you and, and you know, throughout this campaign have really admired your faith. And I think that's been a piece of the puzzle that um, for a very long time, well before the campaign as well, that has been fully on display for people. And I think you know, it's been interesting to me as a reporter who covers faith uh, quite a bit to to see how the media have sort of focused in on your faith. There have been a lot of questions about different concepts, the end times, creationism. I mean, you've had a lot of these concepts thrown at you. Why do you think um, and, and that happens to some degree for every candidate. But why do you think there's been so much of that in this campaign? Um, well, because it's very hard for them to find anything else. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you, whatever you can possibly think you can get some traction on, that's what you go for. Uh, there are no scandals. You know, there's just no real dirt that they can find. So you got to try to create some kind of controversy. Do you, do you think that's do you think, Dr. Carson, it's a matter of trying to make you look weird? I mean, is that, I mean, I, they, there isn't dirt on you to make you look bad because you're, uh, like you said, a guy of integrity. But are, are they just going yeah, well, for the they, weirdness angle? They, they try to make you look like uh, like you have strange ideals, you know, like they go back and, and, and find this talk that I gave 20 years ago right. uh, where I was speculating about, you know, Joseph in Egypt and how were they able to store the corn, you know, for seven years? And I said, well, pyramids are a real possibility there. And actually, there's, there's a number of things to support that. But they go back and say, one of Carson's major tenets in life is that they store corn in the pyramids. <laughs> and, you know, and, I mean, it's just so ridiculous, the stuff that they do. It's just really absurd. It is. It is. Well, weird. and any Christian, and any Christian knows that concepts like the end times and concepts like you know evolution, these are things that are very complex, and that the, the debates go on and on. And we know that as Christians, and I think for outsiders, it's sort of you know it's confusing to them. But then it's it's something they can use to try to say, oh well, you know this person's way you know way out there. And I know Richard Dawkins had quite a number of things to say about you, which were not very flattering, which is <laughs> typical of. When well, he's, he's he's still mad about the uh, debate that we had, the public debate we had in Hollywood, yeah. uh, 
where, you know, he thinks anybody who believes that God created us is crazy. And at the end of the conversation, I said, well, you've won the debate because you've convinced me of your point of view. And that is, I came from God and you came from a monkey. (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) and and I think that I'm... As Christians, we ought to not be, you know, surprised that they're going to try to make us look like weird. I mean, look like we're weird because, I mean, look at what our faith is based on about a man who was killed and then rose again 2,000 years ago. I mean, that's kind of a weird thing to claim, but we do claim that and we believe it. It's it's the central tenet of, of who we are. So let me ask you this. You mentioned what you bring to the table more than anything, and I, and I do agree, uh, is, is integrity and honesty. Like you are who you say you are. Uh, there's there's no doubt about that uh, and, and that sort of thing. If you're the, and if, I would much rather I would I would much rather lose than tell a lie. Right. Because what good does it do a man to gain the whole world if he loses soul? Exactly. So wow. so so I would say I would ask then, if you're the nominee and the Democrats put uh, Bernie Sanders up, I mean obviously if you run against Hillary, your number one thing is I would assume uh, I'm a person of honesty and integrity. <laughs> but if if it's Bernie Sanders, there hasn't been at least as far as I am aware, questions of his honesty and integrity. In fact, that's one of the things that even conservatives have said about Bernie Sanders that they like, is that at least he's honest. Like, he the, he believes this in this, quote, democratic socialism, uh, which is simply socialism. How do you then, if you're the nominee and Bernie Sanders is the democratic nominee, how do you differentiate yourself from Sanders uh, when, when the honesty thing is taken away? Well, I think if he is the nominee and I'm the nominee... I will emphasize the difference between socialism and capitalism that is compassionate. And I will also educate people. I will uh, teach people about our financial structure, what it means, what the kind of debt that we have means for our future. You know, this is the first generation expected to do worse than their parents. And that's a continuing trend from now on. Uh, And some people say it's new normal. There's nothing normal about it. I'll explain to people why that's not normal and how to get back on the right track. And when they understand the fiscal gap and what that actually means, and when somebody comes to talk about free college, they will then have the right reaction, which is the laugh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, cu- culturally speaking, we, we sort of you're talking about honesty and all these things that really do shine through. I think no matter what people think of you on either side, that your honesty is something and your truthfulness. And even in, in addressing some of the recent issues that have happened, um, you know, with Ted Cruz and, and others in the campaign, trail, you have been very, very careful to ensure that you are honest and truthful. And those are values we don't have much in our in our culture, I think, at least in the popular um, um, you know, pop culture things that are pushed out there. What do you think are the biggest cultural concerns that you have when you sort of look at the landscape? And why do you think that you, as a leader, would help us to fill some of those voids? Well, you know, I, I think Joseph Stalin perhaps put it very well. He said, in order for us to defeat the United States, which is very strong, we have to undermine their major pillars of strength. And there are three of them their spiritual life, their patriotism, and their morality. And uh, he was exactly right. Those are the things that have been under severe attack, and uh, we are in the process of collapsing as a result of those things. And those things I think I can talk about in in great detail and great depth and proudly. 
uh, because I don't believe in political correctness. I do believe there is such a thing as right and wrong, and there's evidence for it. And I'm quite willing to talk about what that evidence is and to debate anybody on any of those issues. Uh, and what has happened is people of faith have stood down. And uh, the secular progressives really don't care whether you agree with them or not, as long as you sit down and shut up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and you know, and you speak of you know secular progressives. I know you were at the prayer breakfast uh, this week, correct? Yes, I was there as well, and I and I was thinking back to you know your speech at the prayer breakfast a couple of years ago, which obviously made major headlines. Um, and I had interviewed you not long after that, and I and I was thinking back to that, you know, and thinking of you in the audience um, at that event this year. Was there anything that? you heard that stuck out to you as odd or curious or anything that you thought, gosh, I wish, you know, I wish I could respond to that when it came to some of the others who were up there, mainly the president and, and maybe Nancy Pelosi or any of the other uh, individuals who well, spoke. I think, I think probably the, the most surprising thing I heard was during the president's remark, uh, he said he apologizes for the things, some of the things that he's done. I didn't think I would ever hear words like that coming out of his mouth. So that was kind of shocked. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, what would you say um, for you has been the biggest lesson you've learned on the campaign trail? I know it's a broad question, but I think it's an interesting one, and I'd love to hear your response. Uh, well, I think uh, uh, you learn how, I mean, I knew the press was dishonest, but the level of dishonesty, I guess, shocked me a little bit. You know, they, they came out with all these stories about, you know, my temper, West Point, uh, courses at Yale Psychology Court, and implied that they were all lies. And then when all the evidence was found to demonstrate that they were true, they never seemed to come back and say, oh, we were wrong about that. Yeah, that, that doesn't, uh, that, yeah. You know, and I think, I think that is, we, we live in that 24 hour news cycle too, where I think that that complicates matters even more because they're looking yeah. to fill yeah. things with, with content and space. Right. So, uh, and, and the thing, the thing that's so bad about that, of course, is that the press is the only business protected by our constitution. And yeah. the reason for that is because they were supposed to be on the side of the people and they were supposed to have integrity. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So let me let me ask you kind of almost the flip side of that, I guess. What has been the biggest and, and we're a faith based show, what's the biggest um uh the biggest blessing you've you've received out of this uh this experience of running for president? I mean you had a you had a big run up to before yeah. you even announced, right? Because there are people calling for you to run after your after your appearance at the pre- yeah. prayer breakfast and that was a big experience. But since you declared to to, to now, other than getting to talk to us what has been the biggest blessing for you in this experience? Um, the, the number of people who come up to me and say, I have never participated in the political process, and I've definitely never donated to anyone. Hmm. But I'm participating now, I'm registered, and I'm donating to you. That's, that's been wonderful. And the fact that we've been able to mount a viable can, candidacy on only money from the people, because hmm. I refuse to take money from special interest groups and billionaires who want to influence them. Right. Because I think that that's part of the problem that we have in our country today. It is. It is. And I think, you know, the, the special interest piece is, is fascinating as well. I think that that, again, speaks to um, the, the honesty factor, which I think uh, which I think people are craving. Um, 
what with the whole thing with with Ted Cruz and the apology and the precincts and the phone calls and all that, are you satisfied with where things stand right now with his apology? Where does that situation stand? Well, I'm satisfied, and you know, as a Christian, I would always accept the apology. But I think if, in fact, as he told me, he didn't know what his people were doing and he didn't agree with it, it would seem like you would take it further than just an apology. Mm. Uh, you know, when I found things in my campaign that I didn't agree with and that were not kosher, we've made changes. Even though a lot of people are very critical, you can't change things. The fact of the matter is that now the organization is running much more smoothly. Uh, we put out more policy than any other candidate. Uh, it's very easy for people to find out what, what our beliefs are. And the efficiency has increased many fold. You have to make changes when you find something that you don't agree with that or that doesn't reflect your values and principles. Now, if, you know, having campaign workers who will obviously take something like this and run with it, disseminate it all over the place, try to get people to change their minds, uh, disappoint and cause consternation to thousands of people, uh, including all those college students, uh, who worked so hard and one that gave his life. I mean, if, if you agree with people doing that, uh, then obviously you're not going to change the culture and you're going to let them represent you. So it's an it's a eye-opening moment, I think, for a lot of people. Interesting. So I, I have, I, I, Billy's letting me have last question, and I got to ask, I got to ask two questions, one of them election-related and one of them not, okay? And my first one, election-related, is, a lot of Christian uh, politicians, and and I call you a politician simply because you're stuck being one right now. I mean, that's where you are. Well, uh, well, 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 just recognize I don't accept the label. Okay. <laughs> okay. As someone who is running for office, let's go there. Okay. What? Uh, okay. Uh, there are a lot of politicians and people running for office who say, you know, I need to think about whether or not I'm going to run. I need to pray about it. And if God tells me that it's the thing for me to do, then I'm going to do it. What was that message for you? And I'm not expecting that you got some sort of audible message. The clouds parted and God said, you know, do this. Or maybe you did. I don't know. But what was yeah. that message for you? How, well, did, you, how did you know? It was easy for me because all the pundits, all the political experts said absolutely impossible. Uh, political novice to run for president? There's no way you can put together an organization. There's no way you can pay for it. It's impossible. Right which comforted me because I wasn't that anxious to do it anyway. But I finally <laughs> just said, Lord, if you truly want me to do this, you'll have to open the doors because I'm certainly not going to kick them down. Right. And if you open the doors, I'll walk through them. And as long as you hold them open, I will walk through them. And if you close them, I will sit down. And that's the way I've looked at it. Okay, cool. Wow. That's really cool. Now, I, the one non-election related question I had for you, and, and our our listeners enjoy getting to hear personal sides of people and, and fun inside stories and whatever. When the, when the movie gifted hands was made with Cuba Gooding jr. Did you get to have input on that? Did you get to meet uh, Gooding? Did you have participation oh, yeah. at all with that? How, how did that go? What was that like? Um, well, it was wonderful that we could, we could, we had a large group of people to select from because there was some kind of uh, action going on with a slowdown in uh, Hollywood at that time. Right. So producers, actors, everybody, we had our pick of the litter. Wow. It was wonderful. But uh, interestingly enough, 
you know, there have been at least 12 to 15 different movie production companies that wanted to do the movie. Wow. And they all believed in artistic license, which is why I wouldn't do it, because you know how they are. They yeah. had me having an affair with some ICU nurse. I said, forget <laughs> about it. <laughs> well, I would imagine, I would imagine that, but, uh, I would imagine that Candy had something to say about that, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, when TNT and Sony said that they would do it the correct way and that they would show me all the scripts and everything, I said, okay. And then once the movie was being shot, the major funders came along and said, this is not a Christian movie. It's a general audience movie and there's too much God in it. And you really need to take that stuff out. Mm. And I said, I have no problem with that. You can take it all out if you want, but take me out too, because it won't be about me. Wow. And uh, they backed off immediately. It worked out. Wow. And it worked out. That's great. Well, listen, it Dr. Carson, out. Dr. Carson, we appreciate you coming on and, and talking with us today. Is there if there's anything you want to say that we haven't discussed, you can you can say that. But, you know, right now, but we, we appreciate your time. It's been great. I would I would just say that uh, I hope people recognize that, you know, bad things for a nation never come without a warning. God always gives us a way out. We have to pray for wisdom so that we know what that way is. Hmm. Very good. Wow. Well, listen, we'd love to have you back again, and, and good luck on the campaign, Char. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Dr. Carson. Thank you so much. It's great talking to you guys. <laughs> and now, back to the church boys. <laughs> I just saw that headline. I just saw the headline as we were going in, and I could not contain myself. <laughs> so Billy, okay, so Billy is in his car still because we just got to, as we're recording this, we just got done talking to Ben Carson. <laughs> and I hope that I hope that when Ben listens to this, if he does, what Dr. Carson listens, that he. He starts right at the beginning of the interview and stops right at the end of the interview because otherwise it's going to get really awkward. Billy is in his car because why? Because his family is Italian and thus incredibly noisy. <laughs> it's chaos. You can't go anywhere. I mean, it's not a mansion. It's a, a small. T- it's a twenty-one hundred square foot townhouse, but you cannot go anywhere to do anything in private anymore. It's like chaos. <laughs> so Billy is sitting in his car in the passenger seat. Uh, <laughs> he's got his microphone and his computer, and he's just sitting there in the garage in his car, just so it's quiet. I'm taking a picture. <laughs> I can't. But I noticed a headline that made me laugh. So yeah, so we're just coming back from from break, and Billy's looking at headlines on our front page, and I just edited the story, and it's a touching story, and I think Carly wrote it. <laughs> and the headline is, <laughs> I can't believe you're laughing at this new. <laughs> <laughs> new, vi- <laughs> new video game invites players to experience the jo- <laughs> the joys and struggles. A <laughs> new video game invites players to, to experience the joys and struggles of a real life family battling cancer. <laughs> I don't know why he's laughing. Because- because what, who's playing a video game? Why, why? I can't. I just don't even. It's not. It's nothing. It's a terrible. It's, so it's terrible, obviously. 
But I'm reading this headline and I'm expecting new video game and I'm like, oh, what's this about? Like, is that political video? It's like, and as I'm word for word, as I'm reading it, it gets more and more depressing. And at the end, I'm like, what? This is about a video well, this, game? This is the quote. All I of a sudden, Billy's, Billy's reading this headline and he's trying to read it to me. And he's cracking up and then the quote, as soon as you're done, is, what the hell? <laughs> I can't. Oh. All right, I'm I'm reading the story. Now. I didn't even read the story. So all I know is it's a because vi video games are about enjoyment and like there's nothing. I understand it's like they want to help you simulate yeah, the awful yeah. nature of what that <laughs> is like, and I think joys threw me off too. I don't know. I get it though. Yeah, there is joy and struggles. It is there. Yes, but you're uh, what I'm laughing at. <laughs> what I'm laughing at is your reaction. <laughs> No, it's a five-year-old okay. dies from cancer, and his family does this to cope. And Billy's laughing. I don't even know the story, and now I feel terrible. I don't know anything about. I did not even click it open. <laughs> so what are you laughing at now? You need to, you need to cut all of this. <laughs> I'm not cutting this out. This is gold, Jerry. Gold. Is that what you just said is true. I feel terrible. I did not know that. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily a way for them to cope, but it's to let other people know what it's like to go through the <laughs> having, I think having a kid die of cancer. Through me. Yeah. Well, video yeah, game is it is. Yeah, it's it will it would throw you off, and I get what you're saying as you're oh video game, and then you just, it just gets ter more terrible and more terrible as you keep reading. You're yes. like, oh my, God, what's wrong? That's what happened. I was like <laughs> expecting Dragon Ball Z to be like an headline, and, and it's this really sad thing. But oh. I'm one of those people. I laugh when something is awkward. It's a defense mechanism. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And but now I'm looking at the story and I'm completely depressed. <laughs> now it's sad, Billy. We had we had uh, we had jolly Billy. Now we have sad Billy. Oh, oh no. Oh, you're getting sadder as you read. You should awful. see your face. It's dropping. This is so off. Of <laughs> this is terrible. There's nothing worse than that. I take it. I take it oh, back. I guess on I that. Take it all back. I guess on that note, it's time for us to go. <laughs> Oh my God! Oh man! Well, all right. It's it was actually there are a lot of highs and lows in this episode, and we're leaving on a low. Um, <laughs> read your Bible. Send, send your emails to Billy at thechurchboys.com. <laughs> Hate mail should be directed there. Oh my gosh! Billy, the man who laughs at cancer kids. I was not. <laughs> you're, terrible i didn't know what it was about i uh -huh. thought it well right that's fine all right that's fine you know what <laughs> this is all i have to say to you ken ken hat did you scribble what's on the my... book what's on the written on the front no. of that? oh somebody else graffiti did. i think it was taken from a classroom i'm not gonna lie <laughs> it's got teacher's name on it um <laughs> with that being said all right we out read your, read your bibles we're done <laughs> read your read your bibles read your hadiths uh, go vote for Ben, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> thank you. Thank no. you, Michael W. Smith. Thank you, Ben Carson. Thanks, whoever else came on. Uh, we appreciate it. <laughs> what a good show we have. <laughs> Wait, are we still recording? We are. We'll talk to you later. Do it. <laughs> go, play, go play cancer video games. <laughs> <laughs>
you are going to hell. <laughs> <laughs>